Amen. What an appropriate song to prepare us for what we're going to see from God's Word this morning of really just seeing how great our Lord and Savior is. If you have your Bible, I want to ask you to join me in the book of Philippians and Philippians chapter 2 where we're continuing to learn more about Jesus, but in so doing, we're going to be returning to our study in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, and I want to begin reading again in verse 5 and go down to verse 11 for you this morning as we consider this passage together. The Apostle Paul writes, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, So that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, when we went through the opening part of that section of scripture, what you have there in verses 5 through 8 is what we know to be the humility of Jesus. The humiliation of Jesus, you could even say. Where we saw the incarnation of Jesus, where though Jesus is God and equal with God, he was willing to become a part of mankind. And he didn't just humble himself by becoming a part of mankind, he humbled himself by also being willing to be a slave to mankind when he came. And a slave to his father who he came to serve his Lord and to serve God the Father. But we also saw in his humiliation, his humility, that he took even that third or fourth step where he was willing to go to a cross. And he wasn't just willing to die, he was willing to die on a cross where he would become a curse for us, where he would be the one that would pay for our sins. He was willing to suffer the most public, humiliating, shameful death that was available at the time in which he was alive and in which he died. And if you go back and look carefully again, as we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, in those verses from 5 through 8, you'll notice that Jesus is the actor of all that's going on there. He's the one who empties himself. He is the one who was found in appearance as a man. He is the one who humbled himself. He was the one who was willing to take on the form of a bondservant. This is all what Jesus was willing to do. But then when you look again back at verse 9, we see that there is this shift and and now we're looking at the exaltation of Jesus. Still, these verses in 9 through 11 are still centered on Jesus, but if you read through them again, what you'll notice is that God the Father is now the main actor. Jesus was the main actor in verses 5 through 8, but now in verses 9 through 11, God the Father is the main actor and what he is doing, he is doing now for his only begotten son because of his son's willingness to humble himself in the way it was described there in verses 5 through 8. And what we have here is 
this lesson that the Bible teaches us that those who humble themselves, God will exalt. Those who humble themselves before God, under the mighty hand of God, God will exalt them. This is a lesson that is taught to us in Scripture. It's taught to us even in regards to salvation itself. That is, a person cannot be saved and have justification and be justified in the sight of God and have forgiveness of their sins and have eternal life and the promise of being in heaven with God once they die. They do not have that unless they are willing to humble themselves. Let me just show you that for a moment. Go back over to the Gospel of Luke for just a moment. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, where Jesus here, beginning in verse 9, is telling a parable to some people who are trusting in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. And so he tells the story of two men who went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. And notice the last phrase that Jesus tells in this story. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The lesson Jesus is teaching there is again that for someone to genuinely have salvation, they have to humble themselves before God. The person, any person who attempts to establish their own standing with God to establish their own righteousness before God. Any person who attempts to make themselves acceptable to God on the basis of anything that he or she does, I don't care how good it is, it can be some of the most wonderful good deeds a person can do. It can be even something that the Bible commands us to do, like being baptized or taking of the Lord's Supper or other things like that. If somebody is depending on those things, then they're depending on their own works, their own way of establishing their acceptance with God. And what Jesus is telling in the story is that for someone to be saved, they have to humble themselves because if they don't, they're going to be guilty of exalting themselves before God. And the person who is guilty of exalting themselves before God, he says they will be humbled. And that is they will not be accepted by God And that person is not justified in the sight of God. But the person who humbles themselves before God, who comes to God, expressing to Him their sinfulness, expressing to Him their wretchedness, expressing to Him their hopelessness on their own, recognizing God is holy, 
and recognizing because He is holy and just, He can't just allow them to, to come before Him. The person who humbles themselves expressing that they deserve the justice of God and that justice of God is His wrath and His judgment to come down upon them. That they know that and they recognize that and because they humble themselves before God expressing that to Him and then calling out to Him pleading for His mercy, pleading for His grace, looking for that mercy and grace through Jesus Christ alone. His life, His death on the cross for their sins, His resurrection Jesus says that person who humbles themselves in that way, God will exalt them. He exalts them by accepting them into his family. He adopts that person. He brings them into his family. He welcomes them. He saves them. And he grants them eternal life. So the question I would have for any of you this morning is, what are you depending on? Are you depending on anything in yourself? Or are you depending totally and solely on Jesus Christ? Well, this lesson of humbling ourselves to be exalted starts with just becoming a Christian. But it also is a part of our Christian life. That is, we start the Christian life by humbling ourselves before God, but we continue that life, the Christian life of humbling ourselves before God in those who will humble themselves, God will exalt. If you're still in the Gospel of Luke, take just a moment and go back to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. If you pick it up in verse 7, he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. And notice again, verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Even now, as a follower of Christ, we're still to humble ourselves, not to think highly of ourselves in that way, but to think more highly even of others, willing to put others before ourselves. Or even as we're told, look over just for a moment over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he's speaking to the young men there in verse 5. And he's saying, be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Again, this is very similar to the passage that we're studying in Philippians chapter 2. He's saying, you and I, we have a responsibility to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you at the proper time. Let God exalt you at the proper time. When God sees fit, 
You see, beloved, our relationship with Christ starts with humility, but it continues with humility. As we now go back to Philippians chapter 2, what we're going to see here is that Jesus is the best example of this principle that is taught by Jesus himself, is taught there by Peter, that those who will humble themselves, God will exalt. He's the best example because Jesus committed the greatest act of humility. When you go back and think about the things we just mentioned a moment ago, the things he was willing to give up, the things he was willing to do to go to a cross, a shameful death, in order on behalf of others, not for himself. He did this for others. He did this for you. That is the greatest act of humility that a person has ever committed, has ever done. And Jesus does is the best example to see someone who humbled himself in that way. And now to see as we look back at Philippians chapter 2, God highly exalting him. Now we have the greatest act of exaltation that will ever be bestowed on anyone in this way. Look if you will carefully back in. Let's go back to verse 9. It says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him. God highly exalted him. That phrase there, highly exalted, is actually just one word in the original language. And it's only used here in all of the New Testament. And it speaks of being hyper-exalted. Super exalted, saying that Jesus is in a class by himself. No one else is in the same class as Jesus when it comes to this exaltation because as I said a moment ago, there's no one else in his class when it comes to the humiliation and the humility that he showed. God highly exalted him. Now, a part of this exaltation are some of the things that we've already talked about together over the last few weeks together. When, G- when God the Father raised him from the dead, that was a part of exalting him. And then when the Father also ascended him back to heaven, that was a part of the exaltation as well. Because we saw it was the Father who raised him. It was the, the Father who ascended him back, who took him back up for all of them to see that were standing there that were his disciples. But the focus you notice here when you read through these verses is on his coronation. That when he gets back to heaven, what it is the Father bestows on him. He says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Brother, we know from Scripture that the name that he's speaking about here is the name Lord. He graciously granted him this name of Lord. Not that Jesus wasn't already Lord. He is God. He was always God. He never stopped being God. But now this name Lord is going to be identified with him and identified with him publicly for everyone to see and everyone to know and everyone to recognize as we're going to see in just a moment. This happened when when Jesus came back into heaven. If you will, look over in Acts chapter 2. Look in Acts chapter 2 for just a moment. 
Peter here preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's spoken about the life, the death of Jesus. He's spoken about the resurrection of Jesus. Pick it up in verse 32, Acts chapter 2, verse 32, where it says, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What David was teaching here and what Peter is preaching here is that when Jesus was ascended back into heaven, he was exalted to the right hand of God, which was the most exalted position that a person could have. And remember, he's coming back as the God-man. And God recognizes him. And when he comes into heaven and he approaches the throne of God and the throne there in heaven, the father says, son, sit right here. Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for you. Thus he was bestowing on him the name that is above every name, the name Lord, Sovereign, Master. Notice what Peter goes on to say. Look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. They needed to know God has made him Lord. You see, beloved, please understand this. I don't get to make Jesus Lord. You don't get to make Jesus Lord. God made him Lord. God bestowed on him that name. It's now our responsibility to recognize that and to acknowledge that and to humble ourselves before him. And that brings us back to where we were in Philippians chapter 2. Go back there now. Because why did God do this? Why did the Father bestow on the name Bestow on Jesus the name Lord. Why did he do this? Well, we're told in verses 10 and 11. He bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that, here's the reason, here's the purpose, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father bestowed on His Son. He bestowed on Jesus the name that is Lord so that He would be rightly revered and rightly recognized for who He really was. What I want you to see when you look back at those verses, that first of all, it's going to be a universal reverence of Jesus as Lord. A universal reverence of Jesus as Lord. That's what he's saying there in verse 10. So at the name of Jesus, every... Now please notice those words, every knee will bow. Verse 11, every tongue will confess... No one will be exempt. No one will get out of this. 
And that bowing there is the, is the act of reverence that every person will bow in reverence to Jesus. And notice he says in verse 10, those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, and those who are under the earth. Those who are in heaven are the, the angels and the redeemed believers. Those who are going to be on the earth, who are going to be those who are here when this event takes place. Those who are under the earth are the demons that are there and the unredeemed people who have died already before this event happens. And he's saying no matter who you are, where you are, on that day when this event happens, he is saying that every single person will bow the knee to Jesus. Amen. They will revere him in that way. But notice verse 11. It's not just a universal reverence. It's going to be a universal recognition of Jesus as Lord. A universal recognition of Jesus as Lord. Every tongue, that word there for tongue, you can speak about the dialect, languages. That is every language. Every language known to man. Every language of every person in those languages will be bowing the knee to Jesus and they will be confessing, that is, acknowledging He is the Lord. Amen. No one's going to get out of this. No person, no people group will be left out. Every language. Now understand, beloved, this is not something new that Paul is teaching here. Over in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 45, listen to what he says, or listen to what is said here in Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 22. It says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. You see, God wants all the ends of the earth to turn to him. He wants all the ends of the earth to turn to him and be saved because he says, for I am God and there is no other. There is no other God. There is no other Savior. There is no other Deliverer. You must turn to me. He goes on to say in verse 23, I have sworn by myself the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him and all who are angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Paul gathering from this understanding that God calls on every person to turn to him in order to be saved, knowing this event's coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Beloved, this is associated with the, the coming of Christ, the judgment that will take place. If you look for a moment, go over to the book of Romans for just a moment. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Here Paul is trying to help these believers on not judging one another in an inappropriate way. In verse 10 he says, But ye, why do you judge your brother? 
Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. There is a judgment day coming. And in that judgment, notice again, there's going to be a universal reverencing of God, a bowing to Him, and a universal recognition of giving Him praise for who He really is. But also notice there's going to be a, a, a recompense, a universal recompense that's going on there. So then each one of us will give an account. We're going to have to give an account to God for our life. And most importantly, we're going to have to give an account to God for what it is we have done with the gospel. What it is we have done with the good news of salvation that is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. But as I think through this little section of scripture here, again, notice, if you go back for a moment to Philippians 2, that this is all to the glory of God the Father. God the Father is glorified when people bow their knee to His Son and confess Him as Lord. He's glorified by that. So if you want to know what is the will of God, you can know for certain the will of God is for you to bow your knee to Jesus to revere Him, and then to truly, out of a love for Him, recognize Him as your Lord and submit to Him. This glorifies the Father. And one day the world will do that. Now please understand something. First off this, as believers, as we walk through this and think through this together in the passages that we read, Please see again how humility, humility requires that we trust God. It requires that you trust God. It requires that you are willing to deny yourself. You're willing to put the interests of others first. And you're willing to trust God. Say, Lord God, I love you and I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to think of others first. And I'm going to act in such a way that I'm going to think of them first. And putting them first in the things that I say, the things that I do. And I trust that in your time when you see fit, you will exalt me as you so desire. I'm just going to trust him. So we have to let go sometimes for the sake of others, the interests of others. See others as more important than ourselves. This is very hard in the day and time in which we live where we're constantly being bombarded with I have my rights, I have my rights, I have my rights. And Jesus is saying here, have this attitude in yourself which I had in me. Though I had a right as God to be recognized and revered by the whole world when I came the first time, I was willing to deny myself that. I was willing to humble myself, become a part of mankind. I was willing to be a slave and a bondservant. I was even willing to go to the cross. The Father said, I will exalt him for what he has done. 
So, beloved, as believers, we need to think deeply about that in our own heart, in our own life. But secondly, all of us here, especially if you're here today as an unbeliever, maybe you're here today as someone you know you could say right now in your heart, you know, look, I have never, ever really bowed my knee to Jesus. I have never really trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Or maybe you're here today and you're someone who's even hardened about that. Or maybe you're someone here today and you're on the fence about it. Please hear again what this means. Jesus came the first time in humility as the Lamb of God. He came the first time in humility as the Lamb of God to be the Savior, to offer Himself up as the sacrifice and the payment for our sins. And we know the Father was satisfied with that because He raised Him from the dead. He ascended Him back into heaven. He welcomed Him there and He positioned Him at His right hand. We know that the Father was satisfied with the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus. We know He was the sacrificial payment that satisfied for our sins if we will put our faith in Jesus. And when Jesus came the first time, He came in humility as the Lamb of God. And as that Lamb of God in His humility, He was willing to be spit upon. He was willing to be beaten. He was willing to be mocked. He was willing to be publicly humiliated on a cross. He was willing to be despised. And He was willing to be rejected. And most of the world at that time rejected Him. And sadly, even today, most of the world still rejects Him. But he came in humility. But what Paul is teaching here is that when Jesus comes the second time, he's coming in honor as the Lord God. And when he comes as the Lord God, he's not coming back as that Savior in that way. He's coming back as the sovereign Lord God to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to rule over all and every knee will bow to Him. Everyone will revere Him. Everyone will bow before Him. Everyone will recognize Him for who He is as the Lord God, as the Messiah. I mean, go back to even the days in which Jesus was there alive and there around the cross. King Herod is going to bow before Jesus and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Pilate's going to bow before Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord. Those Pharisees who betrayed him over to the Romans, they are going to bow before Jesus and revere him and say, you are the Lord, you are the Messiah. Those people that were chanting for him to be crucified, to be crucified, they're going to be there before him, bowing before him and having to revere him and recognize him as Lord. Satan himself is going to have to bow before him. Everyone, remember, everyone's going to bow before him. Even the most hardened hater of God and all of human history is going to bow. Even the person who denies him the most is going to acknowledge he's Lord. He's Lord. But here's the truth you must see about that. And it's this, that those those who are on the earth 
who have not bowed a knee to Jesus when He comes that second time as the Lord God. And they haven't believed in Him as their Savior and confessed Him as their Lord. Please understand, if that's the first time a person actually bows to Jesus and believes in Him and trusts in Him and confesses Him as the Lord and Savior of their life, if that's the first time it ever happened for someone and it's genuine and true, please understand that yes, that is something they're going to do. But afterwards, they will be thrown into the eternal hell. Those who are under the earth, as it describes, the unredeemed, they will be raised. And they will, though they never did in their lifetime, bow before Jesus and confess Him as Lord and Savior of their life. They will be raised and they will acknowledge that. They will agree, yes, He is Lord. But then they will be thrown into the eternal hell. It's only those who are in heaven and those who will be here on the earth that are the truly redeemed. Those will be the ones that will be able to have that life eternal with Christ because they've already bowed the knee to Him. They've already confessed Him as Lord. If you're here today, if you're a Christian, you're a true Christian, you've bowed your knee to Jesus. I mean, you, you, you revere Him and you submit it to Him. You have truly believed in Him as your Savior and you have truly bowed to Him as your Lord. So are you ready? Are you ready? If today was that day, if this was the day you were having to stand before the judgment seat of God and He says, you must now give an account to me, what are you going to offer him? And please understand, if you say, well, if you start going down a laundry list of things that you've done, and you try to offer him anything, he's going to say, that's not acceptable. None of those things are acceptable to me. The only thing that's acceptable is my son. The only thing that's acceptable is him. Are you ready Oh, if you're not, please understand you can be. You can be this very day. If you will truly believe in Christ as your Savior and truly bow to Christ as your Lord. Just bow and believe. That bowing, you're repenting and you're surrendering to the Lordship of Christ and saying, I recognize Jesus for who He is. He was the Lord God who came here in the flesh and He went to the cross and He paid for my sins and I'm believing in Him and Him alone and I'm turning from my sins just to trust Him. To forgive me of my sins, to, to, to take away the penalty for my sins, but not just the penalty, to, the, to begin to take away the, the presence of sin in my life. I, I just want to trust Jesus. Those who would truly do that Remember what Jesus said to that man that was beating his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus said, that man went home justified. He left that service justified, which meant he left that service saved. He left that service in right standing with God. And all he did was, as I said, humble himself before God, expressing his sinfulness and wretchedness and expressing his only hope was in God and we know that only hope is in Jesus Christ who is God here in the flesh. 
who gave his life on the cross. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.